This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. So this is Advent, the last Sunday in Advent. For the last four weeks, we've been on this journey. We've been preparing ourselves and, and asking the question as we prepare for the coming, what are you looking for? What is it that you're expecting? What are you anticipating the arrival of? Is it another holiday on the calendar that'll just get packed up and moved on for another season? Or is there something more that is inviting you ever deeper? We call this the serious business of Christmas. Advent is the seriousness of asking, what are you looking for? As we kind of get into this morning's message, I wanted to share, um, I want to basically make a little bit of a pl- plug that for Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is a wonderful time, a sacred time before the Christmas day uh, of two services, candlelight. It's, it's, it's a memory that, that I have all the way back when I was a kid uh, in Pennsylvania of trudging through the snow to the church on the corner uh, for a candlelight service before Christmas. Those are the memories that are in, in the back of my mind. And, and how those memories have shaped me over the years is hard to tell, but I always want you to have those memories for you and your family of a sacred moment, a sacred time apart uh, where we remember the reason for this season. And so I invite you to come for that time. This is Advent. And so the question that I want to ask you is, what are you looking for? What does Advent or Christmas mean to you? For the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure why it's progressing. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the four different kinds of Christmas. And I believe that if you look at your life and you look at those people that are around you, you will find that most of the time we fall into into different types. We approach Christmas in a very unique way. Not just what you say, but actually how you live. And so we've been looking at the four different kinds of ways people respond. Clearly, one of the first ways that we do it is through, through the life of the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Many of you know Scrooge from Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. It was first published in 1849 and became a bestseller, and we have constantly been reminded of its story. Ebenezer Scrooge looked at Christmas and said, bah humbug. Life is about what you do. It's about what you can control. It's about what you have. It's about how you can protect yourself. We learned through the story that Ebenezer Scrooge had a difficult, if not distant, childhood. And as a result of that, he backed away from life. He was cold and hard. He was a cold put your nose to the grindstone kind of a man. It wasn't that he wanted the money because he he lived a very simple, even austere life. He didn't want the money. He just used it to protect himself from the realities all around him. He was, it said that he was isolated. He was alone like an, an oyster in its shell. And so we look at Ebenezer Scrooge as a man who has separated himself from the realities of life. His story might be, put your nose to the grindstone. It's about what you can do. It's about what you can accomplish. It's about how high you can go. Life, then, for these people, become a burden. What do I have to do to protect myself from the realities? Perhaps it's about having more insurance than you need. It's having more money, a bigger 401k, something that can protect yourself from the world in which you live. As a result of that, Scrooge becomes cold, different, distant from those that are around him. Maybe you know those people. Maybe you work with them. 
Maybe those are the people that you live around or people that are the workaholics in our world, people that see Sunday as an opportunity to get just a little bit farther. Are we there yet? Nope, not yet. All right. So Scrooge is somebody that, that is looking for how to distance himself from the realities of life. Nope. Nope, we're still not there. The second... F- We've got that slide down. Nope. There we go. All right. Life is what you do, what you have, and what you can control. Life becomes a drudgery. Maybe you know people that live that way, day to day, work longer hours, put in more time. Do they enjoy life? No. But it protects them from the ravages of life that they know. There's the one that most of us live in. I would probably be willing to say that 95, 90% of Americans live here. This is the life that tells you that you can have what you want. It's here to make you happy. Santa is here to give you what you want, to make you happy. I have good intentions, right? Most of the time, if you know the story of Santa Claus, which most of you do, Santa looks at his list, he's checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. But almost everybody is nice. It really doesn't matter, does it? Most of us have good intentions. We're good people, basically. We live well. We, we have things to do. God wants you to be happy. And yet, there's a fallacy in that process, right? Many of you, I don't know if you know this, but later today, actually in about an hour or so, I have to do a funeral for a man who died rather suddenly. What I find fascinating about that, he's one year older than I am. Now, in that kind of world where people are grieving the loss of a loved one, maybe a loss of a relationship, a loss of a job, a loss of a dream, what does Santa say to them? Naughty or nice? How how do you reconcile that with the, the realities of life? Many of us want God to give us exactly what we want whenever we want it, no matter, no strings attached. Somebody once told me that God's unconditional love does not mean God's unconditional approval for what we do and who we are. God loves you just the way you are, but he also wants to lead you from where you are to where you ought to be. Santa loves you and brings you whatever you want whenever you want it, and as Americans, this is incredibly seductive because we can supply ourselves with whatever we need until it doesn't work anymore. Until you get that medical report or you get that phone call late at night that tells you that Santa isn't really going to help you after all. Many people live in the world of eat, drink, and be merry. But it's also a life of fantasy that we create for ourselves, a life that protects us and says it really doesn't matter. God will give you whatever you want whenever you want it. I like this quote. This is, I've been a big fan of uh, Calvin and Hobbes for a long time, and this is how many of us approach Christmas. We realize that when we get up on on Christmas morning that all of the bad stuff that we thought really didn't matter after all because Santa provides all that we need. And yet, that doesn't make sense of the nativity, does it? It doesn't make sense 
of the cross. It doesn't make sense of why God felt it necessary to come in bodily form for you and for me. And so we hide from the truth, but for a while, it will cover all the doubts and fears that we have. So some people live like Ebenezer Scrooge, some people live like a a Santa Claus fantasy, and some people just live like this. Does this describe you? These are the people that live overloaded, overwhelmed, and over budget. They spend too much trying to measure up to everybody else trying to keep up with everybody, making sure everybody has the perfect Christmas, everybody has their needs met, that nobody feels that you don't measure up. They live with an overwhelming sense of guilt, that something isn't quite the way it is. They live with an idea that life is just a little bit more, and there's a deadly fear of missing out of not measuring up and doing what everybody else wants to do. These are the people that, like on a Sunday morning, they may make a commitment, But guess what? There's something else on their schedule that they need to do. I'm afraid of missing that activity or that activity. I'm afraid of disappointing this person or that person. They live overwhelmed and guilt-ridden that they can't do it all. Does that describe your Christmas? Now, later on, Jesus would come into the world and he would, in Luke's gospel, he would give us a reason for his coming As a matter of fact, he attended a a synagogue, and as the prophet Isaiah was open to him, Jesus said, this is, in essence, this is the reason that I've come. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to these people. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, those that are locked behind the prison bars of their own making, and to recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus came to give us a different story. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about what I call the fourth Christmas. And if you don't mind, it's the real Christmas. It's the Christmas of Mary and of Joseph. Now, if you go online and you ask Google, because Google is the wealth of all knowledge, or at least it will tell you whatever it is. And you say, tell me something about Mary the mother of Jesus. And you look up images. These are the paintings that you can often get. This is an image of Mary. And this is often how some people think of Mary, right? Mary is this very serene, very uh, iconic figure, just always in prayer. Um, Just, you know, her her robes are perfect. Uh, Color-coordinated. How many of us get up and are always color-coordinated every morning? But Mary is that perfect image. I don't know that that really kind of describes Mary. As a matter of fact, historians kind of imagine that because Mary was betrothed to uh, Joseph and she is known to be a virgin at this point, they anticipate or they think that maybe she was around the age of 14 or 15 in that time frame. And so this doesn't really describe a young teenage girl facing the things that she does. This is actually the image that I like the best and it's, it's actually, we reproduced it on your on your bulletin cover, because it gives that sense of that reflective part, that Mary pondered these things, that she's asking as a young girl what her future holds. Now, I gotta tell you that of all the stories of the Bible, whether it's, whether it's Moses, whether it's uh, Abraham, whether it's Isaac, all of the patriarchs, no other story in all of scripture should rock you to your core, like Mary's story. Uh, No offense, a woman's story, 
will rock you to your core if you allow it to penetrate. What, Mar what God is asking of Mary and how Mary responds. As a matter of fact, of all of the stories, Christmas, this Christmas story makes me the most nervous because this is the real story. This is what Christmas is asking of us. This is what it says to you and to me. It doesn't say that Christmas is part-time. It doesn't say being a Christian is part-time. It doesn't say that you can schedule it on Sunday if it works out for you, if you don't have anything else to do. It says being part of God's kingdom involves totality of who you are. How many of you think about your life and say, my life, essentially, I'm trying to create a good name for myself, right? I mean, you want to do a good job at work, you, you want to uh, live a good family, you, you have a good family, you have things around you, you live as a good citizen of your community. You want to live so that whenever, whenever you pass, people have nice things to say about you. They, they tell about your legacy, about the things that you did. Maybe if you lived, can you imagine living such a good life that they, they sang songs about you, they remembered your story? That's the kind of life Mary has, but not the kind of life she began. When she received God's call, when God's call came to this teenager, you're going to have a child. It was at a moment when she was betrothed to a husband, Joseph. Joseph, in those times, you would get engaged, which was essentially a marital contract, but then Joseph would go off and prepare a home to invite his wife into, to live with. But they were still married essentially. Into that world, Mary now learns that she's going to be pregnant, if you will. She's going to be pregnant out of wedlock in a, in a culture that is governed by guilt and by shame. For the rest of her life, wherever she goes, there will always be the whispers. She will never be part of the inner circle of the women's circle, the garden clubs that they had at those times. She would never be invited. She will always be the outcast, the ones that they always whisper about, the ones that they always point a finger to. Her journey to say, I want to have a good life, I want to create a good name for myself, is set aside. Her entire life, her entire dreams, her entire stories have been set aside when that call comes upon her life. It wasn't that she just said, well, God, how is this going to work out for me? Excuse me, Gabriel, what do I get out of this? How does my life figure into this? Her simplicity says that God asks all of us. And I know that there's sometimes all of us as we gather this morning, sometimes our stories, our dreams, our desires have to be set aside. Sometimes what we planned our lives to be often are put off to the side for what God is doing in our lives. And so the challenge for us in the real Christmas is not to say Christmas is just a day on the calendar for you to overspend and overeat. It's a day for Christ to come and say, but will you give me all of you, not just part of you? That's the challenge. That's what makes me nervous. In the light of Mary's story, all of us fall short. And yet Christ comes anyway to say, will you come and follow me? You know, sometimes you just have to let go of the picture of what you thought your life would be like and learn to find joy in the story that you're actually living. All of us have to find where we are in God's story because I find that sometimes 
the road that we're on becomes a lot more difficult than what we anticipated. There's a couple of things that I think we can capture out of Mary's story that that I think can be an encouragement to all of us. The first one is very simple, that God often comes at inconvenient times. Have you ever noticed that? Mary's got her whole life planned out. I can imagine her that she's already sent out the cards to tell people in her community to save the date. She's already rented the, the, the reception hall. She's already gone on the, uh, the TV show on how to pick the right dress for your wedding. She's got all of that already picked out. And she's already begun to dream and look up in the baby books the names of her firstborn when God says, Mary. And sometimes that happens to all of us. We have it all planned out how we're going to live our life when sometimes those plans go awry. Because sometimes when you find that the, light, the plan or the road that you're on becomes difficult, becomes a little bit steeper and a little bit harder than what you anticipated, maybe it's because God is calling you to a higher place, to a higher vision of what you can be. We all want the easy road, the, the gentle path, the, the one that is easy underfoot. But sometimes God invites you to, to explore who you can, to struggle, if you will, to find out how deep you can really go. God often comes to us at inconvenient times. Sometimes when we invite people to, to be a part of transforming our community, to be a part of our mission and our ministry here at Mount Pleasant, it will always come to you at inconvenient times. Illness never comes at a convenient time. Death never comes on our schedule. Invitations to go deeper will never match what your plans are. Sometimes God is inviting you to see things from a different perspective, and that will always be inconvenient to people like us. The second thing that happens to Mary is God often seems irrational. When was the last time, other than the story of Mary, when was the last time God came incarnate in a small child? When was the last time God ever used a teenage girl to reveal his will to the world? So I can imagine Mary hearing this voice and saying, are you kidding me? Who came up with this idea? Aren't you supposed to use people like Moses and a burning bush? Aren't you supposed to use earthquakes and fire from heaven coming down and burning up the wood? Aren't you supposed to do stuff from heaven? God isn't going to use somebody like me. And yet that's the way he does. See, I, I got to be honest. When I look around, I said, oh, look at the wonderful story that we have here at Mount Pleasant. The people, the energy, the music, the, the enthusiasm, and look at the people that come. And if we could marshal them and release them into the community to tell people about what God can and will do, and they would go out and share it. And yet I have people look back at me and say, but God couldn't use somebody like me. I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to ask my neighbors. I don't know how to ask friends. Isn't that what the professionals are there for? Because God often wants to use the ill-equipped to do the unimaginable. I trust God with the next chapter because I know that he's the author. If you as a, as a believer have come to Christmas because God is writing a new story in your life, expect it to come in an inconvenient time and come in a way that you had not predicted. And then let it go and experience what God can really do. I like this quote by Thomas Merton. He once said that if you can find God with ease, if your faith is easy for you, if you come on a Sunday and say, man, I enjoyed that, 
That was good music, and that, and hopefully, except, except today, we're not going to get out on time. But if you ever got out on time, that was nice and easy. It's like maybe it isn't God that you found, but maybe an entertainment show instead. Maybe it should be a little bit challenging. And I think last, what Mary didn't know then, that we know, is that sometimes God is deadly serious. Sometimes the impact of what we're doing is, is far greater than anything that we can know. Mary at that moment did not understand the totality of the picture of who Jesus is going to be. She didn't really understand the full story that was going to unfold. As a matter of fact, we even find that during the Gospels, Jesus and Jesus' brothers come trying to bring him home because they think he's nuts. And I can imagine Mary saying, really, Gabriel, this is what you left me? And yet Jesus changed the world. He changed you and me. Mary was part of bigger, something bigger than what she understood And so the question for us is, are you this morning, this Christmas, are you looking for Jesus? Or do you just want another Santa distraction? I just want another holiday for me to overspend, for me to get more burnout, more distant. Or are you looking for that bigger story? The story that involves you, that gets you involved. It'll be inconvenient. It may seem irrational. But I guarantee it, for you and for your family and for your neighbors, it is deadly serious. God is seriously calling you to his side. Come, let me use you. Let me show you what you really do have inside, what God can do with people that yield his life. Let us pray. Dear God, sometimes... I get too caught in the commercial commercialism. Okay, a lot of the time I get caught up. But today I'm refocusing my heart and remembering why I celebrate this wonderful day in the first place. Today I'm celebrating your unrelenting love in Jesus. Father, I just pray for those that are still hesitant, for those that still believe that Christmas is a day on the calendar. Help them to release and experience the fullness of your love and grace. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.